skate in okay this morning? Good, good times, good old Nebraska fun. A couple of quick announcements before we get rolling here this morning. Um, they are talking some good weather, maybe tomorrow and stuff too. Do you have the texting app? We text you, and we will let you know what's going on. If we are not going to have prayer tomorrow night, we will send out a text and let you know that. Um, if you do not have the texting app, I encourage you, this is one time you'll have permission to pull your phone out right now and play on it in church. So pull your phone out, text at N harvest, and that is not a typo. There is no T on the end of harvest. At two, The phone number is 81010. And... It's not a spam thing. We don't send you random texts for fun and harass you, so don't worry about it. We're not stealing your information and selling it off to who knows who or nothing like that. But it'll, it'll respond back to you, ask you for your name. Please put your name in there because then we know who you are kind of thing, and we don't think someone weird got signed up or something because uh, I don't, I don't want to accidentally delete you right back out either. So, so go ahead and do that, get that taken care of, and then you're in and ready to rock and roll. The second thing I want to talk to you about, and you can go ahead and keep working on that if you're doing that, is in two weeks from today, February 7th, we are going to be doing a teaching and, and doing a helps, uh, serve, or, excuse me, a helps ministry service. So what is helps ministry? That's how this place keeps on keeping on. We've got people that are working with our children. We've got people that are working with the babies. We've got people that are cleaning. We've got people that are doing ushering, security, so many different things that go on here every morning. I mean, aren't you all thankful? Because we are getting a ton of little ones. I love it. I absolutely love it. It helps with children's ministry too. And it is a riot up there. We had 12 kids the one week, and it was absolute wonderful chaos. It was just a good time. And it's great, but isn't it good that we don't have 12 plus, and I think there's more than that this morning, 12 plus kids in here right now going crazy, you know? They're not going to get as much out of pastor's message as they can a message that's geared towards them, that's broke down for them. And I'll tell you what, them kids are getting stuff too. It's good stuff, but it's things like that. That's what helps make this go around. So you can come in here as a parent and sit and feed and not be distracted and things of that nature. And so we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be doing a help survey, give you an opportunity to, to share your likes and dislikes, get a chance to get involved and serve at the body of Christ here at Harvest Church. So I encourage you to make that a priority February 7th. Every Sunday should be a priority, but that one will be working through that and it'll be a great opportunity to get involved um, and do your part, you know, let God's, God's grace work through you. And so we'll, we'll talk, I'm sure more about that. I don't want to get carried off. So everybody get through the texting app. Any questions? We're good. All right. Why don't you go ahead and stand up? Let's greet one another as we get ready to do worship this morning. Say, I will trust in Jesus. I will trust in Jesus. I will trust in Jesus.
Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, time for Lord, let Jesus rise, let Jesus rise, let Jesus rise, time for Lord, let Jesus rise, Jesus Christ, let Jesus rise, let time for Lord, let Jesus rise, let Jesus
Jesus rise, let Jesus rise, lift high the Lord, and let Jesus rise, let Jesus rise, let Jesus rise, lift high the Lord, let Jesus rise. Because we, we just really didn't enter into that when we were talking about Jesus. So we need to be louder. See, there's the anointing comes when God's people get loud. Amen. And so let's, let's sing that last one again when we get to that point about Jesus.
Jesus, 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 tie the name, Lord Jesus, 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 tie the name above all names. I sing Jesus, Jesus, lift high the name above all names. Jesus, Jesus, lift high the name above all names. There is power, there is healing, there is salvation in your name. salvation in your name there is power and there is healing there's salvation in your name you and I need to act like it Act like we have power. Act like we have healing. Act like we have salvation. Not just for ourselves, but for a world that needs the power of God. It needs the healing of God. It needs the salvation. We need to act like it. There is power and there is healing and there's salvation in your name. You've given power, you paid for healing, you provided salvation in your name. in Jesus it's in Jesus it's the name of all all names it's in Jesus it's in Jesus there is power when I speak your name there is power there is healing and there's salvation when I speak your name darkness must flee mountains crumble 
The miraculous happens when I speak your name. It's in Jesus. It's in Jesus. There is power when I speak your name. Is there is power. Oh, there is power when I speak your name. So Jesus, Jesus, there is power in your name. Lift up Jesus, we worship Jesus, we exalt Him, His name is Jesus, we come to Jesus, we come to Jesus. Humble ourselves before the Lord Jesus, mighty war, coming King, our Savior, in your name, in your name.
morning in this place. We thank you, Father, for your supernatural grace poured out on your people and this nation in this hour. We worship you, Lord. We love you. We honor you. And we thank you, Father. Your grace is sufficient. Say that. Your grace is sufficient. We thank you for it. And all God's people shouted, Amen, Amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, open to Malachi chapter 3. The Word of God, throughout the Word of God, it tells us how to deal with finances. There's instruction for finances. And I believe that there are three ways scripturally to give. Tithes, offerings, alms. And there's instructions for all throughout the Bible. There's also, it lists the benefits of each of those. And tithing, it starts out in... in uh, Genesis chapter 14, where Abram paid tithes. God was directed him to pay tithes. So it was before the law. And it's talked about in the New Testament. It comes after the law. And because it's a principle that works. And so throughout the scriptures, it talks about tithing. But I believe this portion of scripture in Malachi 3 is the best, most succinct explanation. So let's read it. We're going to start just in uh, verse 10. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now. And this is the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor will the Vine failed to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. First of all, we need to understand, I think most people do, that the tithe is 10%. It should come off the top. It's the first fruits, 10% of your increase. It talks about here bringing it into the storehouse. I believe that the, low, the storehouse is where you are fed. And there's natural principles and there's spiritual principles. But in the natural, it's just very much like the principle of shopping local. If we want good restaurants in Norfolk, we need to support those restaurants. If we want other businesses in Norfolk, I would rather support them than Amazon. It's important to shop local because it keeps our economy strong. It gives us strength, and then we can affect 
the state and the nations. It's the same thing spiritually. You need to put your tithe into the local storehouse because it keeps that place strong. And then it can go reach on out from there. So it's, there's, God always has a reason. He always does everything. But one of the reasons is because the tithe provides for the work of the ministry. It provides for these lights being on, the heat being on, all these things. Is, it's a provision for that. But in the natural, in the supernatural, I believe, it's also an acknowledgement. When we pay our tithes, it's an acknowledgement that all that we have is from God. And in that acknowledgement, it does something in keeping our hearts right. It helps to keep our hearts right. Now, it talks so, so it should be 10% off the top to the storehouse. And, well, what about other ministries? We'll talk about that later. That's where offerings and alms come in. But the tithe should go to the storehouse to provide locally. And, you know, the thing is, the strength of what we can do as a small body, when we do it together, we support missionaries and I'll talk to you about that in a few weeks. We give them a lot of money. We support them well. We couldn't do that as well as if we weren't taken care of. And we couldn't do it as well as individuals. Together we can do that. So the tithe helps provide for all those things. But God always, when we're obedient to God, there's always blessings that come toward us. And I think a lot of people will just do tithe legalistically but we need to mix it with our faith. And the word of God says, this is the one place in the word of God where he says, you can test him and try him. He says, try me now in this, see if it doesn't work. That doesn't mean you do it one week and then say, well, God, it it means consistently, day after day, week after week, year after year. If you do these things, then the windows of heaven are open to you individually but I believe also to us corporately. And of all times, we need the windows of heaven open right now. The more we tie, the more people are involved, the more the windows of heaven are open over this region, over this nation, and over the world. So the windows of heaven are open to pour out a blessing. And when when you come to a time when you have a need, you can stand on the word of God because it says he will rebuke the devourer for your sake. And you can, the devourer is the seed eater, the thing that's trying to steal from you. That's rebuked when you tithe. And that we will be blessed. Now, we can go on and on and on, and you can study some of this on your own, but today I just wanted to give you advice I don't do this very often. Parental advice. <laughs> Train your children to tithe. There's no place here where it says once you turn 18, then bring all your tithes into the storehouse. The devourer being rebuked and the windows of heaven are open as are as important when you're three as they are when you're 53. And it works the same for everybody. Maybe they just have 50, tie 50 cents. or, But it's the principle. And it talks about train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they're not to part from it. Because one thing here, they've got an onslaught 
of stuff coming on. And I believe one of the ways the devourer is rebuked is that it keeps us, it, re, it is rebuked from being deceived. And it keeps us on path and on target because we acknowledge that God is number one in our life. So it's very, I believe it's very important. It's easier to start when you're young and it just becomes a way of life. But the, from the very beginning, then you have all those blessings throughout all your life also. So I just encourage you, I believe in the tithe. I've been tithing since I was a kid. And I believe it. It works. God works for us through it. So ushers, you may go ahead and receive this morning's tithes and offerings. God is good. God is on the throne. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Amen. We're victors in this lifetime. Amen. Um, I want to read to you something that as, as Nate prays, and when Nate prays, a lot of times he'll call me, he'll be on the road in a semi. He'll call me and, and um, he'll tell me what God is speaking to his heart. And um, God, this last year, I'll tell you what, there's a prophetic anointing, and God is speaking to his people. So I want to read to you what, what um, he wrote down. He says, I kept hearing, this happened a few weeks ago, I kept hearing during worship, this is my year. This is something that I heard various people saying for the last few years, and I could see them saying this. Then I heard the Spirit of God saying, this year, 2021, is my year. He says, one day I was praying and I could see our church sanctuary in which there were a few, 15 to 20 people, not seeing any faces, getting prayed for. God was showing me a remnant. He was showing me a, showing me a transference of anointing. He is saying, this is my year, but how do I work? This all tight, ties in with the helps ministry. But how do I work? I work through my body. Say, God works through his body. This is why I received all authority, and straight away I gave it to you. I showed you, and this is God speaking to his heart, I showed you David's three that went to Jerusalem behind enemy lines to get David a cup of water, because these three men heard him say, if only he could have it. It is my year, says the Spirit of God. I've called my radicals, whom are not afraid to be called by my name. 
to gather me a cup of water, not for your glory, but to glorify me. Not seeking after self, selfless. This is my year. I did not ask for there to be light. I commanded light to shine into the darkness. Now the suddenly and instantaneous shall manifest. I believe that. This is because my body has the authority. Command light to shine into the darkness. Be the body. Not to resurrect what is dead, but to usher in what is new. Behold, I make all things new. Rid yourself of the idolatry and stop watering down my gospel. Preach the whole truth. For as I said, this is my year. And I believe that. I believe this is God's year. And see, if it's God's year, it's our year. Because we're His body. And God's going to do new things. And I'm just going to give you a, a forewarning. In the, in the weeks ahead, you're going to find maybe in our services... Our worship service will be worship. There might not be any preaching or teaching. It might just be all worship. It might be all prayer. But we need to be led by the Spirit of God. And we need to make sure. I'm not going to go back into any kind of spiritual rut. I want to move forward. I want to experience the new that God has for me. And this church. And new requires you and I to make some changes. Amen. Now, I'll, I'll, you can, I'll lay this out here. This is what I'm going to start doing. I'm going to type up a review of every sermon. And then it'll be out there. So if you miss church, which you shouldn't. It'll be out there on the counter. And you can grab one and, and there'll be scriptures. You know, scriptural references and some statements made. That way you can get it. Amen. We're on a new um, series on doctrine. And it doesn't have to be boring. Next week we have a guest who's going to help you understand the importance of staying on true doctrine. Going after true doctrine. Amen. Now, um, we gave you some scriptural warnings last week. We're going to define doctrine and its importance today. And uh, we talked about types of doctrine. We said you are what you eat. Remember those babies? Didn't make any difference. Those babies were shoving things in their mouth. Then we said when you leave the Bible for any other doctrine, you have left God too. I like that statement. Amen. Look in your Bibles this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to define doctrine. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 16. Everyone say this Bible doctrine is God breathed. Bible doctrine is God breathed. In 2 Timothy chapter 3.16, it says, All Scripture, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So if you're going, if you're going to be, and I'm going to be thoroughly equipped for every good work this year, 
then we need good Bible doctrine, good instruction. Uh, the Amplified says, every scripture is God-breathed, given by inspiration, and profitable for instruction. The word profitable in the Greek means this. It refers to something that is mandatory or essential, or an absolute requirement. God's Word is not an option. It should not be an option in your life and my life. It is mandatory. Say, God's Word is not an option. It's mandatory. Now, Webster says this, defines doctrine this way. Something taught, teaching, something taught as the principles or creed of a religion. In the Greek... The word for doctrine is defined or, or it, it gives forth this meaning. Those things we affirm and believe to be true. If you put that up for me that I had you type up on the Apostles' Creed. Wake up, sound booth. Got it? <laughs> there you go. How many have seen this before? This is what Rick Renner, we're going we're gonna to read this here in a minute, minute, but Rick Renner, Greek scholar, says this. It's the rule of faith. The Apostles' Creed is the rule of faith. Now, I like this. It was used as a truth filter. I like that. It was used as a truth filter to determine what was and wasn't genuine Christian Doctrine. It was used as a truth filter to determine what was and wasn't genuine Christian doctrine. Let's read this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son and our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic, universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Now, Catholic just means universal. I'm not a Catholic. You're not a Catholic. But that's what that word means. Now, that, thank you. You can take that down. So you can see through the years that people would concentrate on that. That isn't, there's not scripture there, but you can find scripture to back that up. So this will keep you and I on the straight and narrow. Especially in the hour that we're living. Rick Renner goes on to say this. Doctrine is the foundation of what we believe. It impacts what we think. It affects our worldview. It determines what we believe is right and wrong. It guides us in life. Determines our convictions and standards. And affects all of our actions and activities in life. In short... We are the product of our doctrine. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, 7, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. So, you know, 
It's important what you believe. You and I are products of what we believe. There are people in the church right now that believe the media. And they're deceived. It's important what you and I listen to. I listen to very little. I used to listen to Fox. I don't anymore. I'll listen to Hannity once in a while. There's still a few patriots out there. Amen. I'd love to have him tell Fox, sing that old country song, you can take this job. And Amen. Maybe he will. But you've got to be careful what you're listening to in the days ahead. If you find, if you find yourself listening to the media and what's, what's being spoken out there, those lying, deceiving spirits, it'll, it'll bring discouragement and fear. Just stay focused. I was listening to Cat Kerr the other day. Man, there was fire coming out of her eyes. She was mad. See, the church in this hour, I'll get ahead of myself. I'll stop. Look at John 7. Look, John chapter 7. Now, I'll also tell you this, not to breed discouragement, but as the Spirit of God moves, as things change this year, you're going to discover our, our services will be a little bit longer. I, and you've got to know me by now. I, if God isn't in it and the Spirit of God's not moving, I'm out of here. I'm not. Amen? But, like this morning, we had to go back and we needed to sing that again. And I, all I could see in my mind's eye and my picture in my mind was the, na- the nation of Israel marching around Jericho. I could see it. It was all those people in a, See, that's where the church is at right now. The walls haven't come down, but they will. And, and believers need to have that shout. Amen. The acid test of true doctrine is in John chapter 7, as we read the words of Jesus in verse 10. It says, but when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said he's good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? Then Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. The acid test, now listen, of true doctrine is whether or not it is scriptural. Say scriptural. Whether it makes men love God. Say love God. 
supremely and others as themselves, and whether it glorifies God and produces peace among men. Now, let me read that statement again. The acid test of a true doctrine is whether or not it is scriptural, whether it makes men love God supremely and others as themselves, and whether it glorifies God and produces peace among men. Now, I want to read this to you from the message. It says, when the feast already half over, Jesus showed up in the temple teaching. The Jews were impressed but puzzled. How does he know so much about being schooled? Jesus said, I didn't make this up. What I teach comes from the one who sent me, and anyone who wants to do his will can test this teaching and know whether it's from God or whether I'm making it up. A person making things up tries to make himself look good. I know you have something to say. You're thinking exactly what I'm thinking. A person making things up tries to make himself look good, like Democratic Party. Okay. But it's the truth. But someone trying to honor the one who sent him sticks to the facts and doesn't tamper with reality. Jesus didn't come, you know, to draw attention to himself. Everything Jesus spoke, every sign, wonder, and miracle was about the Father. And we should be no different. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus in these last days. There are three stages in a believer's life. Say three stages. I want to read to you today. In fact, I want you to look at 1 John. We'll set this up. I'll go a little longer and then I'll unhook and we'll just pick up next week. 1 John chapter 2. There are three stages in a believer's life. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. He says, the, the Apostle John says, I write to you what? Because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. I write to you, fathers, because you've known him who's from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you've known the Father. I've written to you, fathers, because you've known him, him who's from the beginning. I've written to you, young man, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. I'm going to read to you from my favorite book other than the Bible. And... Uh, I want to quote David Ravenhill, which is the son of Leonard Ravenhill, who was a great author, great man of God who went on to be with with the Lord. But he says there are three stages in the life of the believer. He says we're not saved to stagnate. Conversion is not a goal. It is a gateway. 
We're to, we are to progress from strength to strength, from glory to glory. Where's the church going from now? From glory to greater glory. Three groups which represent three stages in the life of a believer are addressed in 1 John. Children who represent salvation, young men who represent maturation, and fathers who re- represent consummation. Then he goes on. Let me read to you what he says about children. Our conversion. The Christian life is meant to be progressive. Conversion is the starting place, not the stopping place. It's wonderful to know our sins are forgiven. It's fantastic to discover that old things have passed away and all things have become new. Nothing surpasses the reality of God's presence dwelling within us and of our becoming partakers of his divine nature. No wonder the writer of Hebrews calls this so great a salvation. Yet conversion is merely the beginning of the new life we are to experience in Christ. A spiritual child, like a natural infant, has many deficiencies. Remember the, the, what I showed you the video last week. You remember that? About the babies? That spiritual child lacks strength, wisdom, insight, and purpose. His world largely revolves around his own needs and desires. Sound familiar? Others must spend vast amounts of time catering to his well-being, for he demands almost constant attention and protection. His ability to, ability to give is limited. His demands are limitless. A child's satisfaction, as Paul told the Corinthians, is derived from childish things. Tragically today, as in Paul's day, the church is overrun with spiritual children. Most of them content to live as babes demanding constant pampering and attention, having little regard for the needs of others, let alone the purposes of God. Now you know why this nation is in the condition it's in. Because the church is full of spiritual babies. He goes on to say, um, most of us, can recall the awkwardness of making the transition from childhood into adolescence in the human realm. Bodies changing, minds expanding, relationships becoming more complex, responsibilities increasing. With so many personal changes taking place, those years can be be some of the most difficult of our lives. But if we're ever to make the transition to the next stage in the spiritual realm, change, say it, it's not a bad word, Change, as difficult and uncomfortable as it may seem, will be a part of that process. If we do not wish to remain children, if we do not wish to remain children, we must be willing to let go of the old and embrace the new. Some of us, us, it's harder to let go of the old, the things of the past. And when we're that way, we become slaves to that type of thinking. And it's hard to, to cross over into the new. This is where the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is at right now. Crossing over into the new. And if you're, if you're going to fight it, then guess what? You just discovered of those three what you are. Boy, you don't preach to be popular. No, I never have. 
Young man, the next one. John addresses the young man, those who have left behind their childishness. No longer satisfied with kid stuff. They realize there's more. Not content to remain immature, they hunger for the word of God. As the process of maturing continues, they become strong, committed, and steadfast. That's good, isn't it? Maturity is measured not by the absence of problems in our lives, but how we handle them. Upon entering this second stage, believers become aware of the spiritual conflict in which they are engaged. Unlike young men or young children who are largely spared from conflicts, young men and women must now rise up and conquer. They cannot be swayed by conflicts and circumstances. I, I'm reminded of a, an, an Asian young man who's prophetic that's on YouTube. How many of you have seen him? Let me see your hands. You know who I'm talking about? Not very many of you. God, he's got to be in, he's in his 20s. And he's, he's, God has spoken to him through dreams and visions and, and, he, and he shares with it. And, and he's part of this new generation of prophets that are rising up. And we need him. As a very wise woman once observed, so many of God's people are like thermometers, constantly changing depending on their environment. Others are like thermostats, constant and consistent regardless of their circumstances. God is desirous that people rise above their circumstances and learn to live consistent, victorious lives in the strength that He alone supplies. Are you a thermometer or a thermostat? Then he goes on to the third category, fathers. Having looked at children and young men, we now focus our attention upon the fathers. I've wondered why John wrote so little about this particular category. He offers specific statements about children such as your sins are forgiven you and you have known the father. To the young man, he says, you've overcome the wicked one and you're strong and the word of God abides in you. But to the fathers, John says only. You have known him who is from the beginning. How does this differ from children who also have known the father? The child, because of his limited understanding, knows God simply as father. Having experienced his love, forgiveness, provision, protection, the child is happy and content to be showered with the father's attention. He thinks the Father exists solely to satisfy his personal needs. What then does John mean when he says that the fathers know him? I believe John is referring to a deep revelation and understanding of God. Just as a wife knows her husband in a greater capacity than the children know him, so the fathers know God with deeper intimacy and insight than do the spiritual children. Have you ever noticed that John uses the phrase from from the beginning more than any other biblical writer? He opens his first epistle with what was from the beginning. John introduces his gospel with in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And John begins the book of Revelation with him who is and who was and who is to come. Perhaps the key to understanding what John is saying regarding fathers lies therein. John sees God as both the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. It is impossible to see things from God's perspective unless we know what was in his mind and purpose from the beginning. 
The fathers have experienced salvation and and progressed maturing, but they have also progressed to know and understand the mind of God regarding his purpose for their lives and for the church as it relates to his eternal plan. Let me read that once more. But they have also progressed to know and understand who's they, the fathers, the mind of God regarding his purpose for their lives and for the church as it relates to his eternal plan. That is why I chose the word consummation to describe spiritual fathers. Succinctly put, consummation means completion or fulfillment. In other words, God sees the whole, not just the parts. Say that. God sees the whole, not just the parts. Only as we begin to understand what was in the mind of God from the beginning will we be able to recognize many of the perils of immaturity and avoid the errors and shortcomings of the unbalanced teaching that has become so prevalent in the church today. See, I want you to see something, and, 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 and Pastor Hank has said that, said this more than once. It's not just about an election. It's not just about Trump. It's about a covenant that was made hundreds of years ago when our ancestors and and the great men of God landed, amen, at Plymouth Rock, and they had a covenant with Almighty God. This nation belongs to God, not to the Democrats socialists, communists, republicans. It belongs to God. And we have a covenant with Him. See, and if you don't see the big picture, then you're going to be in fear, you're going to be discouraged. Amen? Understanding what God had in mind from the beginning also helps us gain a clear perspective on current issues and situations. Take, for example, I'm almost done, as an incident from the life of Christ. When the Pharisees asked Jesus what he thought about divorce, he did not spout the results of the latest opinion poll. Instead, he immediately began relating the issue to the purpose God originally had in mind from the beginning. He said, it has not been this way. Jesus was spiritually mature. He understood the mind, ways, and purposes of the Father God. In a day of situation, ethics, decaying morals, no absolutes, we have a desperate need for fathers in the church. Spiritually mature men and women, people who understand the big picture. The mind and will and purpose of God as it pertains to his eternal plan. People who are not caught up in the cross currents of popular trends. But who cry out for reality in their relationship with God. People who, having found the pearl of great price, are willing to give up all to own it. Which category do you fit in? Well, we're all growing. You can be a spiritual father one day and and some days act like a kid. Ouch. (laughs) Amen. But we've all, as a church, we've got to get to the point where we move past that stage because children 
are so easily manipulated and deceived. That's why we have to have relationship with God. You have to read your Bible, not because the preacher says you need to read the Bible, because you want to know Him. Because you love Jesus. There are days I open the Bible, you know, and, and I've got to, you know, I don't feel like reading it. But I, I discipline my flesh to do it. There are days I don't feel like praying, but I discipline my flesh to do it. And anymore, I can tell you this sincerely, I want God more than anything. I want to know more about God and my Father and His kingdom. And, and bottom line, I want to fulfill my spiritual destiny. How about you? Let's stop there and, and uh, we'll just proceed next week. Today, you know, I, I read you quite a bit. I don't want you to leave here with your tail between your legs. Oh, I'm just a baby. I'm just a baby. I'm a baby Christian. Help me, help me, help me. I believe you here today have a desire to know him. I believe you here today see the big picture. But I'm going to tell you something. There are going to be spiritual babies coming into the kingdom in the days ahead. And they're going to need our attention. They're going to need our encouragement. They're going to need our prayers. So it's time to grow up. And get your eyes off of you and your own needs. And get your eyes on other people who have needs greater than you. Amen. Let's stand to our feet this morning. How many of you love Jesus? Let me see your hands. Jesus Christ is your Lord and personal. I like that. My neighbor's back there like this. Amen. That's from all those 80s rock and roll concerts. 80s, right? You are from the 80s, okay. I'm from the 70s. 70s is greater than the 80s. Right? (laughs) Better music, too. 80s musicians, they don't know nothing. Doobie Brothers, the 70s. How do we get off on that? Is there anyone here today you need prayer for your physical body? Anybody else? Yeah, who are you standing for? He does. Okay. Father, I thank you. We pray for Ross today. We thank you for your grace and mercy. We bind any fear. And we loose your supernatural peace upon Ross. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Yes. Yeah. Okay. First name. Father, we thank you, Lord, as she stands in for her co-worker, April. We thank you, Lord God, for your mercy 
and your healing virtue to flow into her. We bind infirmity. We lose healing. We thank you that you are God of miracles, signs, and wonders. So work a miracle for her in the name of Jesus. Amen, 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 amen. You know, when people come up, and it's, it's, it's all right to come up and stand and ask prayer for somebody. That's selfless, not selfish, amen. Anything else? Yeah, tomorrow we'll have prayer unless the weather's bad. Um, remember, helps ministry. Um, uh, as, you, as you come to church and get new people come, there's plenty to do, and, and it's a good way to get involved. Amen? Amen. You're blessed Amen. in Jesus' name. Amen.